Hello, and welcome back to the Hidden Gems Movie Podcast. I don't want to call it Season 2. I want to go with the British way and call it Series 2 because I know it's been a while. In fact, it's been almost a year. Um, Things happen. My name is Sam, and I am joined, as always, by my fellow movie lover, um, old curmudgeon, conservative, the... I was going to say, what Simpsons guy would you be to my Simpsons guy? God, I hope not Mo. Wouldn't be Mo. Oh, would yeah. It? You're my Mo. Or Grandpa Simpson. I don't no, know. you're the Mo to my Homer. <laughs> He's the Mo to my Homer. He's my movie soulmate. So it's been a while since we've done this. Um, you know, you'll see if you're looking at the podcast list right now the distance between episodes, but I'll give you guys a quick summary of what we normally do, and then I'll let you know what we're going to do today. This podcast started because Steve and I are lifelong movie lovers, and we thought there are so many great movies, hidden gems, hence the name of the podcast, that nobody knows about, that are just really great, and it was an opportunity for us to recommend movies that you may not have ever heard of, and then to talk about them. Um, And we're going to get back into it after a year-long hiatus. Um, We'll just say, basically, that you know, so much of life, as deep as I want to go, is that in my family, there was a birth, and kind of a death. (laughs) Um, So... Now, you know, I'm re-entering society, ready to continue this podcast. Um, for any of you that used to listen to us, I'm sorry, but I do promise we are going to get started again. Now, that being said, we started this podcast, Steve, in the pandemic. So it's not like we started it pre-pandemic. However, so much has changed in the pandemic with movies that I thought right now would be a good opportunity to assess the state of the union here, the state of the cinematic union, the state of Hollywood, and to talk about all the different changes that are happening with the film industry since the pandemic started, because I think there have been major, major changes, and that's what I want to talk about. And I think these changes, I can't say what's going to be permanent going forward, but I do have some ideas in the near future of how things are going to be. Steve, what are some of the things you have noticed since the pandemic to now? I think that... Some movies are going to be like a box office immune. Movies lived and died whether or not, you know, they're, how well their box office did. But since the pandemic, since, uh, you know, some movies with questionable box office uh, potential uh, have been released streaming. Now, when that happens, uh, how do you know? How do you know it's a hit? How can you qualify a hit? How can you qualify? I think this diminishes stars, too, by mm-hmm. the way. And maybe directors, but more so stars. How can you tell who is the big superstar? Is Tom Cruise the last big star? You know, obviously, um, these streaming services can track how many um, views and how intensely they are. And even, um, you know, when, when they get first released. And even uh, if some uh, movies start trending back uh, back from obscurity. It's happened on Netflix a few times where a relatively obscure movie, all of a sudden, you know, it's in the top ten. If you can, if you can trust net, Netflix, um, you know, accounting. But I, that might diminish the movie star, which is a, a tidal wave, yeah. I think. So I think the lack of the movie star had already started uh, pre-pandemic because if you look at our still our major movie stars... They're essentially old men. They are like Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe no longer. Russell Crowe went out. I mean, it's actually sad. He to became see. a character actor. Yeah. If you that's generous, honestly. Yeah. That's generous. He kind of just washed out. 
Mm. They, people don't seem to want to use him anymore. And then it's, he made good movies. And sometimes, like, uh, um, what was that movie with uh, Renee Zellweger where he was a, a, a Cinderella man? Yeah. Good, solid great. movie. Flopped. All of a sudden, audience didn't want to go see him. I actually love that movie. It's a, good, it's a good, solid movie. It absolutely. is. It's a feel-good movie. It's a feel-good yeah. sports movie. Um, but with these, you know, it really seems like now, you know, obviously, I think the major component, and you and I are, without a doubt, the two least important people to talk about this, which is IP, right? Quinn Tarantino is on record saying that Marvel movies are killing the movie star, and he's right, because they're playing these characters. First of all, none of them are really the lead. I think the only person who became a bigger movie star after being in Marvel was Robert, the same t- Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Yes. That's it. He's the only one. The rest of them, it's just a job, and they and it's you know, it's kind of like one for the money, and then one for them, right? And the, usually the ones they do for them don't work out at all. You know, none of them are hits. Um, that being said, you know, I think also the major thing you you struck on was streaming. All right, so streaming is the big one. Streaming was already going to happen, and then. Um, the pandemic obviously accelerated it for so many reasons. Steve, I just watched The Fablemans on streaming. That movie just came out. You know, Top Gun just came out and then was on streaming like, you know, you know, you know, half an hour later. No, but it was quick. It was quick. Was it? Oh, yeah, really quick. Because it was, well, I thought it was released over the summer. Was it not? No, summer? no, no, I don't think so. Top Gun Maverick? Yeah. I think it was like May. No, I think it was in fall. But either way, it was on because I know because I went to go see it, mm-hmm. and then two weeks later, it was on. It was on streaming for nineteen ninety nine. Oh, now if you're talking about the bridge in between, whether it's whether it's it's at the box office and then it becomes streaming, yeah, that's what's so yeah earth shattering because yeah. uh, it could be in the middle of its run, right. Or at the beginning of its run. I just saw Knives Out. Yeah, uh, Glass Onion. Yeah. Knives Out. It had been in the theaters for one week. But that doesn't count. <laughs> That's a Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. And Netflix movies only put themselves in theaters to qualify themselves for Oscar nominations. I would agree with you normally, but this got this got a very unusual wide release for one week. It made about $14 million. I still think it has to do with the Oscar nominations. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're no, hoping saying, Daniel think, Craig gets a nomination. Gets I also think the amount of theaters they put it in, is something. Uh-huh. it has something to do with it. Because I believe what the Academy did was they said you can no longer put your movie in just like two theaters. Oh, really? Yeah. I know the, the, the rule is by December 25th or 26th, mm-hmm. right? 24th or 25th of the previous year, you know, I don't know why no, they don't start on January 1st. You have to release a movie at least in one theater, in the city of Los Angeles. If it's not released in the city of Los Angeles, it can still qualify. That's how um, Chaplin's Lime Life was never nominated when it was released in the 50s. They released it in 74 in Los Angeles, and he gets an Oscar for, for, I think it was Best Song or Best Score. Boy, Chaplin's Lime Life, we are really (laughs) getting a whole lot of new viewers here. (laughs) So one of the things, though, about streaming that I noticed is that when it first started, especially with Netflix, it seemed like the model was going to be your kitchen sink dramas were going to come out on, on streaming, okay? And your major big budget, you know, IP movies or whatever would come out in theaters, and that was the way it was going to be. That's logical. But the problem the is Amazon and Disney, and very much Disney specifically, have changed this. Um, Amazon released, obviously, The Rings of Power, which is, you know, the cost of like five five movies, right? Um and Disney Plus, more specifically, really changed the streaming game because they are releasing mo- they are releasing major motion pictures on the streaming platform and 
TV series at the same time, and those series have the budgets of multiple movies, and and it's not working because at the end of the day, seven ninety nine per person per month is not covering the cost of all of these multi million dollar projects that are not receiving ticket revenue. Disney lost, I think it was something like $2 billion in one quarter, which is why they replaced the head of it and brought back the other guy. Here's the thing. The streaming model is never going to be profitable for the huge budget movies because you're asking how do they quantify its effect only through new subscriptions. That's it. That's a good point because even if you have every subscriber turning in mm-hmm. to your uh, uh show you make no money if you don't have you know if you haven't increased the number you're that's right, right. You, the, there was a, a dreadful movie called the tomorrow war with chris pratt at least i heard it was yeah terrible. on amazon i've had it and I, I i can't motivate myself to turn it on i know it cost a fortune yep. here's a question did that movie and movies like uh you know certain uh movies that uh, disney decided to uh, um to put on streaming Sometimes uh, these streaming services, they see there, there's a, there's an expensive dog with a big star. Oh, it turns out, you know, they, they guess there's no way this is going to make it in the theaters. Let's sell it to whomever will buy it. Mm-hmm. But is that Disney's plan, or Dis- did Disney actually plan to make big budget movies and release some streaming, hoping to jack up the subscription? That was their plan. That's what they thought. They thought that every time they released a new project, there would be a wave of new subscribers. Mm. I don't think they ever thought that it would peak. See, the problem is if you're interested in all the things... See, Disney's just going to have to keep acquiring. They're, have to, they're going to have to keep acquiring things that are outside the realm of the people who already subscribed to them are. Because the people who already subscribed to Disney would have spent, the, the let's say, $10 per ticket for every one of the things they're making. There used to be a time when Disney released at most... Two major movies. That was it. That was it per year, and they made. Oh, you're going back a ways then. (laughs) Not not two backwards. I'm talking Uh the Disney Renaissance. I'm talking Lion King, Aladdin. Ninety. Yeah, thirty years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't feel like that. Hey, don't say that's a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the point is that was the model, and they made out like they kept their costs relatively low, right? And they made out like gangbusters in the ticket sales. Especially, I remember when I was a kid, I went to go see movies that I liked multiple times yes multiple times so you went to the movie you went to the theater twice let's say it's twenty dollars uh ten dollars for each ticket it's twenty dollars you just paid for about three months of disney plus and these guys at disney plus they're releasing multiple movies onto their platform plus the star wars shows which have huge budgets in no way was that ever going to be profitable and we, you know, Disney's not like Amazon. They're not as profitable a company. They they cannot run in the in the red like Amazon can. Um, so we're gonna see what the mat. I'm sure you know, Steve. You and I are not business insiders, and in fact, part of the reason we started this podcast is that we love movies and we don't like talking inside baseball. A because we don't know it. For us to to for us to pretend like we somehow know more than the person listening to us is nonsense, right? We we are open to the same information that they're uh that they have access to we're just noticing things um anecdotally really but the point is the people actually run these businesses must know what just happened at disney plus i wonder if they're going to create a circular firing squad (laughs) among these studios yeah nobody's willing to back off the big budgets you know uh subscription drawing Mm -hmm. uh projects 
because they're afraid if I let one quarter down, you know. Uh, right. But you say, you know, once you hit your peak, you, you might as well. Maybe they need to go back to investing back into the theater, you yeah. know, releasing, make, making um, their animated features a rarity that that's people right. look forward to. That's right. It, it but you be, know what that's going to take? Hmm. They're going to have to figure out the national ad campaign again because it used to be we all watch TV. And I know you still have cable, Steve, but mo- so many of us don't now. And it used to be, you were talking about the lack of the movie star. One, th- one thing movies don't feel like anymore are big events. They don't yeah. feel like big events mm-hmm. anymore. You don't get, you know, everyone tunes in for this one football game because they know they're getting the first preview to this thing. Um, it's not happening anymore. And then not only that, you know, maybe whatever the third movie in the Marvel line was would have been a big event. But no Marvel movie is a big event anymore. They're just not. People they are used to hitting it. it at such <laughs> an alarming rate. I don't even keep track right. of them anymore. Top Gun 2 did it right. Top Gun yes. 2 was a big event. Avatar yeah, 2. Yeah, they paced it out 30, uh, for, uh, like 35 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, Avatar 2 seems to be a big event, yes. right? But you've got to support these, these major movies with huge national ad campaigns. And one of the problems with streaming is if you made a movie with Paramount, the only place you're going to be able to advertise that Paramount movie is on what? Paramount Plus. <laughs> you see? You can't advertise the Paramount Plus movie, the Paramount movie, on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. You can't advertise the Disney movie before the thing you turn on on Netflix. Because you turn you on... You can advertise it on ABC and NBC and CBS, but no nobody's watching it. anymore. Exactly. <laughs> so they've got to figure out. They've got to open the doors, quite frankly. They, they have got to get together in a room. Get these lawyers together. Get the lawyer who was the lawyers for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. The greatest <laughs> lawyers in the history of mankind who somehow figured out how to get, you know... Disney and Warner Brothers how to get together. How to get Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck in the same frame, right? Yeah, and, no, and, not and, Donald Duck. And Daffy Duck, Daffy and, Duck and, and Mickey Mouse. Yeah, there you and, go. And Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Or sorry, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse. Yes. There it is. Yeah. Get those lawyers and get these guys to say, look, we need to start being allowed to pay each other where if I turn on something on Disney+, Plus, you know the part, you know the previews beforehand that you can actually skip, mm-hmm. but that it can be for a Paramount movie. And on Paramount, if you turn on something, Paramount+, Plus, it, it can be a preview for something that's going to be Disney. There's a problem with that. What? It might be against the law. <laughs> you might be breaking antitrust. Seriously, you think you might, so? You might be uh, breaking. I almost certainly you would be breaking antitrust laws. You, people could bring an antitrust lawsuit. I'm shocked that uh, <laughs> the Justice Department didn't do more to impede the sale of uh, 20th Century Fox to Disney. I, I, Interesting. I mean, that that that's a power grab, and I don't yeah. think Disney's done. Like, well, like like you said, they're going to have to keep acquiring if they want to keep increasing this. And what did they really acquire with 20th Century Fox? The old Star Wars movies. That was huge. Yeah, that was huge. Although I think they got that through. Um, see, that's really confusing because Lucas didn't have initially he didn't have the rights to Star Wars. Yeah. He had the merchandising rights. Yeah. It, it felt it to was Fox. 20th Century Fox. Yeah. That's right. Um, they got the Simpsons and all, all the Fox, uh, the network, yeah. not the news. That's they didn't right. they didn't buy that. Um, Simpsons, which is a gold mine, and X Men, which gives them back to Marvel. You know. Yeah. It seems honestly that they're going to have to. And I think they're going to. My prediction, Steve, is I think they are going to back off the major movies being on streaming even weeks later. They've yeah, got may, to keep- That's what they got to do. They, um, Disney 
in the 90s, when they were putting a classic like Cinderella, yeah. they would advertise it. on. You can get it on VHS, then it's going back in the vault for the rest of the decade. That's right. That created a scarcity, an artificial scarcity. Right. But, but that'll never happen. That. That'll never happen. You're never going to own the movie again. So one thing they've got to do is they've got to keep these movies out in theaters longer. And they've got to start national ad campaigns saying, you don't want to miss this in theaters. Because nobody, I don't care who you are, not a single person here has a home entertainment system equivalent to a movie theater. Yeah. You just don't. And people are saying to themselves, I'll wait for it to come out on streaming. How often have you heard that you recommend a movie to <laughs> someone, you got to go see this. I will wait for it to come out on streaming. They have got to figure out a way to defeat that mentality. It is that mentality that is changing the entire business. Mm. Now, it can change it in a good way, a way that I would like, which is that if movies are going to be less profitable, then what are they going to become? Less expensive? Less expensive. Yeah. And if they become less expensive, what are they going to be? Oh, it could be a little more daring. They can be dramas, <laughs> kitchen sink dramas. They can be more experimental. They can be, yeah. They can be more human. You know, Disney actually went through that process in the 80s. They decided, you know, they wanted to get in on uh, on dramas and yeah. stuff. And they signed a bunch of people like Richard Dreyfuss and Bette Mittler. And they, they cranked out some fairly profitable movies. Mm -hmm. You know? Like what? And, well... Uh, Richard uh, Richard uh, Richard Dreyfus for Touchstone, which is a Disney subsidiary, he did like Tin Men, and then he okay. did Down Out in Beverly Hills, and they weren't expensive movies, but they made money. Yeah. And 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 Danny DeVito was also in Tin Men, and he was in Mittler in um, Ruthless People, another yeah. Touchstone movie. Yeah, and these movies started to make money. I think big business also. Uh you didn't. You did, their philosophy was let's not spend a ton of money, but let's make sure we've got really good stars, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now, maybe you have to focus on story to bring people in. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. They're going to have to cut budgets. That that Amazon feature, I think that's the most expensive entertainment endeavor in history. It cost 900... about Rings of Power? Rings of Power, yeah. nine episodes cost $900 million. Which, by the way, it didn't look like it cost $900 million. You didn't see it on the screen. I, I, have, I have the stupid Prime, and I, never, I haven't no, watched it yet. No, I watched all of it, and I'm I've saying there were some parts that looked really cheap. It was pretty wow. surprising. Yeah, they did, they did some really poor work. Um, how, long are, how long are each episode? Like an hour. And I know we're, we're bleeding into... We're, we're including some TV shows here. What's the difference what? now? Yeah, it's like... What's the difference? You're, you're right. It, it, it's hard not... You when know, the budgets are them. exceeding those of the movies, yeah. what's the point? <laughs> That's true. You know what I mean? Who ever thought that would happen? And I, I don't have a problem with I mean, this. per hour, I guess not. Per hour, it's like, you know, uh, $90 million per hour. But still, so let's, that's a huge endeavor. Let's say, you know, in, in, my, in my sort of prediction, where I think that the bigger movies are going to hit the theaters and they're not going to come to streaming for a very long time where they are really going to force you to go to those movies. And by the way, I think they did that with, um, with Marvel. I think they're still doing that with Marvel. I think they're refusing to put Marvel movies out on the streaming on Disney plus mm -hmm. until they've had a lengthy run. They in can the afford to do that up until end games, up until, uh, Avengers end game, but they just put they that black Panther that. movie out. That's true, and, and that's, that's related, and Thor. Yeah. They, they could afford that, but some of these other new Marvels that, ha that have gone unproven, yeah. you know, and which there's been quite a few, yeah. they, they're not tied into the Avengers, they don't yeah. have that track record, they're getting lost. Yeah. 
So one of my, even though let's say we get a bunch of kitchen sink, let's say that all indie dramas, we won't call them indie, but just like low budget, not low budget, but mid budget Michael Clayton style dramas only hit streaming. That's also sad. It makes me sad because the truth is when I am searching through Amazon or Hulu or any service, streaming service, looking for what to watch, it's very hard to decide because there's so many of them. When it used to just be, here's out, here's the eight movies out in theaters, and if you feel like seeing a movie, pick one, right? I would hate to see... I'll, tell, I'll put it this way, Steve. I grew up where direct-to-home video was a badge of shame. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that means the studio had no confidence in it. Right. And I, I don't think I can ever get over that. I don't think that mentality with me will ever change. The idea, every single movie I've ever seen that was released directly to streaming didn't feel cinematic to me. Maybe it was, but I can't, it's a mental block with me that I cannot get over. And you know, one thing that's happening is I was just watching on streaming, um, the Banshees of Inishirin, Mm -hmm. which was a wonderful movie. Absolutely fantastic. And it's probably, I think going to win all the awards. Um, that's my prediction. Um, but in Europe, here's the deal. They let America do all the big budget streaming shit for them. (laughs) Their movie companies are small in Europe, right? They're really only large in India and China, right? Where they have sort of comparable big budget movie studios. But for the rest of the world, all they can really afford to make are the mid budget movies that feel like movies. The movies I wish they made here and released in theaters. That's what's happening in Europe now. Um, the only and exception it, I can think of is um, that, that, that Secret Service, you know, um, Kingsman. Uh, they decided to Oh, is that a BBC out. movie? Well, I, I think it's British money. It, it, okay. it might be backed by American studios. It I bet you there's is. an American somewhere probably. in there. Probably. But, you know, it's, I think it's, it obviously takes place in England. They yeah. probably hired British directors. But, you know, that and Bond, you're right. That and Bond is about the only thing they're willing to, you know. Is Bond actually a British company, though? At this point? Well, it's funny because, you know, eventually United Artists took it over. Mm-hmm. Or actually, United Artists might have started it. Yeah. They went bankrupt, and then it turned over to MGM, and I don't know who the hell owns MGM now. Correct me so. if I'm wrong. Wasn't it Gates of Heaven that bankrupted United Artists? Yes, it was. Oh, uh, what, <laughs> what a badge of honor. Oh, man. The guy the guy who ran United Artists at, at the time was... Uh, 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 I forget what his name was, but he, um, you know, he was so proud of Moonraker because Moonraker was the most expensive movie <laughs> of uh, most profitable movie of '79, made the most money. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, <laughs> it comes crashing down. There is a fantastic book about the making of um, Heaven's Gate. Really, you, you, I think it's called The Final Cut. I think interesting. It also gives history of United Artists, uh, but yeah. it, it focuses on how that how all that went wrong. By the way. I think that movie is a fantastic movie. I love it. It's great. I don't love it. I like it. it I'm just saying, it benefits from bad press. It benefits from low ex- <laughs> lowering, it, lowering it, expectations. It benefits from low expectations. I mean, I read. You know, I saw the director's cut. The lo- not not the piece of crap that they eventually cut down and mm-hmm. released. I gotta say, it's impressive. It's very impressive. Um, they actually talk about it in what I think is the greatest movie ever written about. Sorry, the ever the greatest book ever written about movies, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Yeah, yeah. about you know seventies Hollywood. Um, but yeah, they're, see, they're gonna have to figure. Here's my Steve my Bachman. Thing. I think it's written by Steve Bachman. Bigger part. We are all living right now in an experiment in entertainment, <laughs> and nobody knows. That's they right. don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows what they're doing or how this is going to turn out. They are just throwing 
spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it sticks, right? <laughs> I mean, that's really what's happening. Yeah. Um, and they've got to figure it out because nothing will ever replace the theater experience. I went to go see Avatar 2, um, a movie I don't even really care about in theaters just because I wanted to see a spectacle in theaters. In fact, talk about the state of the movies. We don't only have to talk about streaming, right? Marvel now is this... I won't even call it a juggernaut. It is the coal mines of Hollywood. It is like <laughs> if you want to... If you want to, you know, eat a fancy uh, cafe lunch, you need to work in the coal mines. You want to paint a nice picture, you need to go work in the coal mines. Marvel now is the money maker in Hollywood, paying for everything else. And as a result, Steve, movies like Avatar and Top Gun specifically, right? Movies that twenty-five years ago I would have scorned. I would have snubbed my nose and said mindless <laughs> entertainment. Now I'm just like. Good for you. This is what mindless entertainment ought to be. These Marvel movies, I don't even know what to make of them. They're so homogenized. They're so devoid of character. They are so... I mean, I guess the word is corporate. At the end of the day, they have no soul. No, they don't. And a sure, a sure sign that a franchise is getting rusty is the camp. The increased amount of humor, it's, it happened to Bond, mm -hmm. it was getting just, yeah. it looked ridiculous, you know, yeah. silly and campy, and the thing is, they, they hire gag writers, yeah. I'm sure of this, they hire gag writers yeah. to insert jokes in uh, Infinity War and, and, and Endgame and, and all the, just to make sure that nobody nods off, nobody, you know, they're, they're terrified of the ghost of DC, you know, creeping in. So they've yeah. got to keep it light, you know. You're not gonna Which, be by the way, DC's not to copy that, about to copy that formula because the guy who created um, one of those movies, the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh -huh. is running DC. That's right. And, and he's the one who put the kibosh on, I think, uh, he's killing the current the, Batman. He's and, killing uh, the Snyderverse. Yeah. You know what? I don't get a kick out of Snyderverse. I got to say, I, I'm, not, I'm not impressed. I was very impressed. I know you're not. I, I'm a big fan of the Nolan trilogy. Mm. You know, uh, Batman Forever, uh, The Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Knight, uh, The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Returns. Uh, I, I, think the, I think it was the last time that comic book movies blended action and intelligence to me not true because the last batman movie <laughs> the batman was better than all three of those when you we uh we're, we're recording this in my living room when he came down i was actually watching uh the batman oh, the batman's excellent that's uh, i'm watching that now and it i got about 40 minutes in seems pretty dark to me <laughs> and the, i'll tell you why the batman i don't care that we're going off a tangent Here's why The Batman is better than Nolan's Batman trilogy. One reason and no spoilers. One, one reason alone. No, no spoilers. Um, what's his name? Robert Pattinson did something incredibly brilliant. He didn't lower his voice? He didn't lower his voice. <laughs> he just talked with his normal voice as Batman. Try and... Watching what's those, he trying to do? Watching those Nolan <laughs> Batman movies, watching Chris Bale go, where is he? <laughs> Sorry, uh, Steve's dog just looked at me. See, she's frightened. I guess it works <laughs> to... to Christian Bale's credit. But it's on an animalistic level. But he's talking like this. It's so stupid. It's so incredibly stupid. How can you watch it? It's just, as we're Robert Pattinson, he's just talking like this. Hey, where is he? What do you do? So I'll say one thing before we get back on topic. Uh -huh. Robert Pattinson is very hard to play Bruce Wayne in Batman. It's very hard. And he's doing it better than anyone I've ever seen do it. Oh. My favorite 
uh, is is Michael Keaton because he's such an odd choice. Yeah, he's so, he so defies the stereotype, and there's you know there, there's wit and there's humor, but there's also a, a kind of explosiveness that you yeah. know. Good an actor as Val Kilmer as he didn't have, and obviously Clooney didn't have it. He had just this, this explosiveness, like he could go nuts at any time, you know? Yeah, um, that's true. Although they say uh, Bob Kane, the creator of Batman, said that Val Kilmer was the best to do it. Obviously not the best Batman movie, although I like Batman Forever a lot. Uh-huh. I saw it multiple times in theaters. I got the VHS for Christmas. You know what? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. It was the last time you Batman was argue, fun. You could argue that that was a template for Marvel because it had yes. lots of jokes Correct. Filled with nothing but stars, big and glitzy. Um, thank you, Marvel. <laughs> and did nothing for any of their careers except um, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Who's clearly, he, was on, he was on his upward trajectory. He's clearly yeah. the star of the movie. You know, there's a great story about how Tommy Lee Jones found out he's going to be working with Jim Carrey on, a, you know, on that movie, and they were at a restaurant, and Tommy Lee Jones walked up to Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey thought, you know, they were going to say hello to each other, how you doing, because we're going to work on this movie together. And said Tommy Lee Jones says something to the effect of, you know, I cannot stand you, and I cannot tolerate anything that you do. And he walked away. And the thing I'm thinking about that's so rude is... Tommy Lee Jones is entering... He got the same script Jim Carrey got. He's entering <laughs> Jim Carrey's world, right? This might as well be Dumb and Dumber. Like, you can't... Steve, I can't walk into your house and be like, I do not abide the furniture here, Steve. <laughs> you know, what, this wasn't like like Jim Carrey got cast in uh, The Fugitive, right? And, you know, in some supporting role, and Tommy Lee Jones walks up to him and is like, you have no business being here. This is the opposite. Tommy Lee Jones is clearly entering Jim Carrey's world here. Just so oh, ridiculous. absolutely. Yeah, so it's true that he's an irascible old fart. <laughs> yeah, but he's a great actor. He's a great actor. He disappears in that movie. You forget he's there, and that never happens with a Tommy Lee Jones movie. Maybe he just wasn't interested. You know? I mean, he disappears. Tommy Lee Jones, maybe, you know, I think the AFI should do a list for 100 manliest moments, <laughs> which, by the way, will never happen in the year 2022, going into 2023, year of our Lord. But if they ever did do 100 manliest moments, somewhere there's got to be... Like five... Uh... There's got, well, there's got to be, I didn't kill my wife. I, I don't, don't care. care. <laughs> the audience just... I don't remember seeing that in the theaters. The audience just... They didn't kind of know what to make of it because they weren't expecting it. It was the last thing, and they started chuckling. But if they thought about it, what they would realize is it's, it's just a more artful way of saying, hey, bud, just doing my job. Yeah. That's all it was. How many times have you had to say to but some guy? But you know what? Just doing my job, job sounds like an excuse. He is, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Jean Valjean. Yeah. He doesn't care. I, I'm indifferent to your innocence. Yeah. I want to bring you in. I don't yeah. care if you're innocent. All right, so let's go back on topic. Man, he was good. Okay. Steve, um, do you think that the Marvel movies are going to go away? Do you think they're going to hit? Because right now they're trying to do this thing called Phase 2, which is something called Secret Wars, whatever the hell that is. You know, they're trying to build another multi-film storyline. At what point are the studios going to give up on Marvel? You know, uh, I, I'm like a lot of people. And my interest in Marvel completely died after Endgame, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I don't think I'm the only one. Th- there have been some, some movies that have been pumped up by the critics. I have no idea why. Yeah. Uh, I think they're tailing off. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars is out. You know, The Rise of Skywalker was a disaster. Um, Not financially, though. <laughs> yeah, financially, but I, it made a lot of money. Yeah, but I still, I think, 
I think they're a long ways away from making an episode 10. I think, you know, they'll do, if anything, those like kind of Rogue One type deals. They're going to have to reinvent. Uh, yeah. They, Absolutely. They're going to have to cut ties. Yeah. Plus, all, all the actors are dead or dying. They're going to have to cut ties with Kathleen Kennedy and, um, and, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, J.J. Abrams. They're, they they have to be out. They're, they're Kennedy a, has to be out. She ruined. She freaking ruined that. Well, that Abrams franchise. is one. That, all she ruined was by allowing Abrams to take over the franchise. I have you heard about the script that just came out, Duel of the Fates? Duel of the Fates. Okay, so some. Tre- I think it was the guy who wrote um, that weird teen superhero movie that was really dark and was an indie and had Michael B. Jordan. And I can't remember the name. Is that these three teens who gain superpowers, and then one of them turns evil? Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <clears throat> the guy yeah. who wrote that or directed that, the in- his name's Trevor something. Uh-huh. Um, and I might begin this wrong, but either way, s- some guy they hired to write episode nine, and he called it "Duel of the Fates," and the script just came out, and it's ten times. So, so J.J. Abrams scrapped it, uh-huh. and it's ten times better than what J.J. Abrams did. Really, it's really sad. This is my point. J.J. Abrams is the hack here, and he's always been a hack. He's a. He's I completely a, disagree. He's a Steve. Name I think one, that the man delivers highly entertaining movies. Name one movie where it doesn't fall apart in the third act. Go. <laughs> oh come on! He There's has nothing said, wrong with the third Mission Impossible. Nothing. I know you don't like the, the way. I love the third. I mission. know you don't like the way uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is killed. You know. No, I don't care about that. First of all, I love the first forty-five minutes of that Mission Impossible. It's my favorite. Of all of them, but it ends with like Ving Rhames giving thumbs up. It's weird. It's like it just every single one, whether it's Super Eight, Mission Impossible Three, Star Trek One, Star Trek Two, The Rise of Skywalker. Every single one of his movies falls apart in the third act. And what's so, or even Alias? All right, a show he created that fell apart at the end. Mm-hmm. It was funny when people really got on him for The Rise of Skywalker. And he came out publicly and said, geez, I really got to start thinking about endings, right? Because all the beginnings of all his projects are fantastic. He's like one of the best first scene guys in the business. But for him to say, after basically 15 years of not knowing how to come up with endings, to, to finally realize, oh, man, endings are important. I better think of them before I start production. I disagree with you and him. I think that uh, you know the Wrath of Khan, the second, uh, the second, second Star Trek. I thought it was perfectly fine. No, everyone hates that. And clever. That. I loved it. No, the best, the best part of both those Star Trek movies is the first scene of the first movie, and then it just all goes downhill. No, oh yes, I, I loved it. I loved uh, the the casting Benedict Cumberbatch. It was really good. Uh, uh, he was terrible. He gives an entire monologue in a cell telling you everything. Look. J.J. Abrams, he was formidable. Takes, he, was formidable. he takes bad scripts. He gets bad scripts. The J.J. Abrams, he basically shoots without a script, and it's obvious. It's very obvious. He does not know where anything's going. And then in the third act of all of it, he just, he just cobbles it up together. But anyways, here's the point. What is going to happen when Marvel's no longer profitable? Are we going to find another IP? Are we going to be just, is this constantly going to be the search? When you say IP, what do you mean? intellectual property is this going to be the search for things that already exist whether it be a game of thrones novel series like something that already exists in series form the witcher right Mm -hmm. or somebody going to come up with an original idea right their own universe like avatar avatar as far as i know is an original idea where are the big budget original idea movies when are they going to come back never that is the least likely scenario Uh. (laughs) 
All right. I, I, I want to give you a uh, top ten list. Okay. Okay. Please do. Top ten list of um, uh, th- this year. Um, Top Gun Maverick sequel. Jurassic World Domination sequel. Doctor Strange <laughs> Multiverse of Madness sequel. Uh, Minions: The Rise of Gru sequel. Um, Avatar. The sequel. Way of Water. By the way, when movies have a subtitle, you know you're in trouble. Okay? You, you, know you already know you're in trouble. You know, you know what? What? It was bad and I liked it. Black Black Panther. Uh, sequel. Wakanda Forever sequel. The Batman sequel. The, Thor. Love and Thunder sequel. Um, and the last two were two Chinese movies. One was the, the Battle of Lake uh, Kanjin, which was about um, you know the Korean War. Was and it a sequel? From it was. It actually was. It was. It was part two, and and then a, a science fiction comedy called Moon Man, and you know, you know, I don't want to be too nationalistic, but for for the most part, you know, um, those last two, I don't think a ton of American audiences saw. Although, no. I, I'm not sure. I want to see a movie about the Korean War from the Chinese perspective. We're not talking uh, a. A huge amount of of uh, originality here. Yeah, creativity, absolutely. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of creativity with these movies, but n- there's no originality. Well, one thing I hope for <clears throat> is I hope that the Banshees of Inisherin cleans up at the Oscars. And the reason I hope that is that I hope it signals that you can make um, independent human drama that is in no way politically oriented. That being said, that movie takes place under the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, and there are going to be people who argue this movie is about the Irish Civil War. It is not. You're being a jerk. Stop it. (laughs) I wish he didn't make it under the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, because, you know, it's about two friends who aren't friends anymore. Meanwhile, they live on this island off the coast of Ireland, and on Ireland, they can see the war happening. It's not about the war. It's a lovely movie. It's an absolute. Oh, you watched it? Yeah, it's oh, a, fantastic. It's a, it's a lovely movie, um, and I love the fact it, it displays how insulated this island yeah. is when they see because they can see the mainland from parts of the island. Yeah, and they can see explosions, literally, yeah. literally explosions and fighting. They're completely insulated from it. Although yeah. there are some men who have served yeah. in, you know, they make it clear. This movie is just about human dynamics yeah. between two guys. That's right. It is. It is a fantastic, lovely, touching movie. Now it doesn't. It, it will not deliver a happy ending. Well, don't give anything away. Here's. I, a, I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to uh, give yeah. anything away. But but they you know, they don't cop out. No, no, they don't. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. But here's yes. my question. Back to this whole, you know, can we make movies? on a mid-budget scale that aren't politically oriented, especially to the left. Um, are they going America to go, can't. Are they going to go on the campaign trail, and are they going to say, this movie's about the war, and we're showing a microcosm of the war between two men? Are they going to do that to attract voters? <laughs> that would be so sad and pathetic. I, it would be. I understand would what be. you're saying. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, retrofitting your movie yeah. to a, you know... A liberal voter make, base. A, you know, a woke attraction. Yeah. There is so much unbearable politics trashing its weight like a chainsaw mm-hmm. through movies, making them almost unbearable. I completely agree. Got a list. Another way, list. I usually agree with the politics. I just don't care. <laughs> I want art to challenge me. I want 
I wouldn't mind. Okay, you. I think everybody knows I am a conservative. Yeah. I, you, you trend liberal. Um, but I, I, if if I rejected all movies because they're politics, I'd never go to the movies. Yeah, you know. Uh, I, I'm in that Pauline Kale camp. She is completely intolerant of obviousness. Completely because agree. It gets in a way of truth. That's right. A hundred percent. It's about the human condition. Yes, but you wouldn't know that from some of these movies. And I got a list. Oh, please <laughs> go for it. The Good Nurse. Okay. How, how is that political? I know what it's about, but how is yeah. it political? Well, one, um, they, they don't focus on the serial killer. They focus on the corruption of the hospital covering up his his deeds. Also, they kind of suggest, as, as a subplot, that uh, the only reason that he gets away with these murders is because the, the nurse is trying to expose him lacks health insurance. <laughs> Oh my it's, God. it's 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 uh, yeah. I will say though, my wife, who's a nurse, it's unbearable. When she read about that story, uh-huh. her first thing was not one an interesting guy, but her first thing was there was institutional failure. Yeah. So and, and that's what that's what they're concentrating <laughs> on. Yeah. You know. Oh, it's it, if they would just make them interesting, I wouldn't mind it. But this is this is very two dimensional. Okay. Also, this and another movie called um um was it Clara? I'm sorry, Emily the Criminal are the two ugliest movies I have seen. You know what's funny? I went to college with the guy who shot that movie. Which one? Jeffrey Bierman, Emily the Criminal. He was in my classes. He's a cinematographer on that movie. I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean mm-hmm. to trample on... I, I apologize, but it is hideously ugly. I think that movie used, if not all, partially, it must have been using natural light, and I despise that trend. Interesting. You don't get honesty using all natural light. The first movie I remember seeing uh, was uh, Lost in Translation with Bill Murray and Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson. Boring. And I, I <clears throat> thought it, for the most part, was ugly. There was, there's just a few scenes where it worked. The bar scene... Steve, all her movies are ugly. <laughs> well, I'm, as far as the natural lighting technique, it worked in the bar scene. I can't help that they juiced that a little bit to make it look glamorous. It was a flat, oh, ugly, dull movie... Emily, um, the thief, takes that one step further. It makes, um, you know, the world look ugly. And the, the politics is, she, apparently she becomes a criminal because she's got all this student debt. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's insufferable. It's, a, it's, an ex, it's, a, it's validating her crimes. Yes. Yeah. It's her oh, I, I, absolutely. And the, the, the fact is, it's, it's a compelling movie. Yeah. I can't say that I didn't enjoy uh, some of it. Uh, mm-hmm. The lead actress, um, Aubrey, Aubrey, Aubrey Yeah. Yeah, you know, she's kind of a kind of a limited actress, but absolutely you know what? limited. As long as you keep her in, in in a, she doesn't have to do comedy to be mm-hmm. effective, and she's fairly effective here. You know, Interesting. they they cast they cast her well, but but the movie is 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 a chore to a chore to watch mm-hmm. and eye rolling in its politics. Hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't want to see it again, but I can't say that it's it's absent of of quality though. I can't say that. Um, oh my god. Glass Onion Knives Out is probably the most flagrantly political movie. I just watched it last night. Uh huh. I did too, actually. <laughs> I just watched it last night. I hated every second of it. But here's the thing: I hated the first one. I hated the first one too. They they changed the politics. In, in they went after inherited wealth in the mm-hmm. first one. Yep. Evil, hideous white people, uh, all on one scale, and. Because they inherited the wealth, they're just layabouts, do nothings, and you have you know the virtuous halo uh, wearing um, a person of color. Yeah, 
Who, by the way, I forget that actress's name. Anna de Armas. She did give it, she's terrific. How she made that character have a touch of flesh is amazing. Oh, uh, you think she's good? I think she's, she's fantastic in that movie. I think she's a terrible actress. Oh, I she is so charming. I, I, I you know, and, and it was the, the, I think the, um, the role is so badly written. It's a, it's a miracle she was able to rise above I can't, it. I and watched, this actress in the second movie yeah. doesn't. Janelle Monet. Yeah, she's, she's a singer. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah. I never heard of her, but uh, although and, she's, she's been in enough movies now, I think that you could call her an actress. But I didn't know she was a singer, and I don't. Re- yeah, I, I think, I've, I think I've picked up a few performances. She doesn't rise above it, except in the scenes. And I, I, I don't want to give it away. There's a few. There's a gimmick. One of the horriest gimmicks, you know. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give out give give away uh, a major plot line. Yeah. But they, they, I think <clears throat> D.W. Griffith found it moldy. You know. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't rise above it except for uh, that section where where the big reveal <clears throat> happens. I mean, it's too bad that the character Daniel Craig plays, which is a ripoff of what's his name Perot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a British. He's well, not, actually, it's, a, it's supposed to be an American. Though. He's not serviced by anything in the movie, right? The character's good. The performance is good. He's not serviced by it. Um, partly because he's always solving. He's always solving mysteries that inherently don't matter. <laughs> that like you can't like feel anything about it. It's never like it's never a mystery where you're like you're really rooting for him to solve it. It's always just who gives a shit. Um, what I will say about you know. Knives. I, I came to a hard realization last night. When Brick came out, I loved Brick. Brick was huge for me when I was in my early 20s. I I saw so much of myself in that Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, minus all the sleuthing ability. Um, <laughs> and the great pattern. Yeah. Oh, you, you I love, pretty good I pattern. really like, um, you want to talk about a hidden gem? Maybe we should do it one time. I think Looper's a hidden gem. Uh-huh. I think Looper's great as a science fiction movie. I think Star Wars The Last Jedi is the second best directed Star Wars movie ever. Um, I don't know if it's a great movie because of the plot he was given, but he certainly directed the hell out of it. That being said, I, I said to a friend, I, I think he's really getting disappointed. And my friend said he was never that great to begin with. And I'm thinking maybe he's right. I I was really impressed by, by Brick, but he poached a lot of great writing, Dashiell Hammett writing mm-hmm. from the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, there, there's absolute cleverness, but... If you if you watch the Maltese Falcon, it's it's. I've read the Maltese Falcon. Slick, right? And yeah, that movie is really faithful. Never to, watched to the book. it. I, I've I've read the book and 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 uh, seen the movie both. Really faithful. It's funny too because it was shot. Mm-hmm. Now we're really getting way off track. It was shot like a few years before, and they gave it. I think I think they gave it a different title. And boy, the difference of of directors where one movie is indescript. You wouldn't even notice it was there. Yeah. And then you see this amazing masterpiece. Yeah. Anyway. So let's go on with your he, list. He is, he is, he is, Ryan Johnson, I, I was so disappointed with um, his first movie with uh, the Brothers uh, Bloom. The Brothers Bloom. So disappointing. Because I thought it was going to be really slick and, 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 and <laughs> inventive. They could have and... fixed that movie by switching the actors. 
Mark Ruffalo should have played the Adrian Brody character, and Adrian Brody should have played the Mark Ruffalo character. That's interesting. That's I knew it was the first was. thing I thought when I saw that movie. I said, they have done this wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting idea. Because Adrian I Brody's got helped. a slick quality to him, like, mm-hmm. a, like a kind of like a wise guy quality. Right. Mark Ruffalo's got the sensitive quality. He's got, he, he's got a, yeah, he's a very open actor. They know? messed it up. Mark yeah. Ruffalo's not the, not the, the, what's the word, kind of like the, what's the word kind of like for a grifty type guy? You know, scoundrel. Yeah. Adrian Brody's the scoundrel. The rogue, yeah. Yeah, Mark, Mark Ruffalo's not the scoundrel. Yeah. Are you any more on your liberal your liberal trash poisoning movies? <laughs> Where the Crawdads Sing. Never heard of it. This has brought back um, the 90s liberal vigilantism as a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you get to kill if your heart's in the right place. Oh, then that, speaking of that, that would have been um, that... The three billboards outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri movie. See, that movie... They were a, planning to, weren't they? That and movie is in my top two most morally evil movies of all time. That and <laughs> The Devil Wears Prada. And the one thing they both share in common is white women. So hear me out on, on the three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. You got this woman, right? Her daughter's been raped and murdered. She decides this white woman, that she is also the champion of justice for all the oppressed black people in the town, that they themselves cannot protect themselves or stand up for themselves. They need her, a white woman, to do it, right, to to protect them. And then, and then, at the very end of the movie, when this racist cop who is without a doubt, committed multiple hate crimes against the black community in this town, decides that he is willing to accompany this woman, this white woman, on a mission of revenge to go kill a rapist. All of his sins are forgiven with her. (laughs) This tells you so much about liberal white women in America that they come first, their problems come first, and no matter how much they claim they care about the problems of other people, it is horseshit. They care about themselves. Um, that movie is downright evil. What's the name of the lead actress? Um, well, it's the director of the Banshees movie. Right. Yeah. Frances McDormand, who's awful. Fra- Frances McDormand uh, gave one of the most scandalously uh, smug yeah. Oscar acceptance speeches. 100%. She said, um, I didn't know that I could demand diversity in my crew. She said that in an Oscar yeah. speech, and I'm going to from now on. And all I could think of was, how about the crew? Yeah, right. <laughs> can can the crew ask for you know instead of this this overprivileged a white, white wo- woman who's yeah. married to a very successful director? Yeah. Do they can they say you know I think maybe we should give a give a black actress that? Yeah. Can they can they do that? Right. By the way, it how- was absolutely the most repulsive thing I ever every heard. time she opens her mouth it's repulsive. <laughs> and how do you think Ethan Cohen deals with her? Because <laughs> Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen are well, famous. Stop putting her in movies. So. <laughs> but they're famous. For not tolerating that type of self-righteous horseshit. <laughs> she, that's her thing, right? They hate self-righteousness. They love to expose it in their movies, yeah. Yeah, they hate self-righteousness. Hmm. And she's the most self-righteous <laughs> actress in Hollywood. How does this happen? When, when she is... I can't say... She, she has talent. There's no question no about question. that. I, I, I gotta concede that. It's just how horrible some people can be. I, I do have one more list. Please. Amsterdam. I didn't. I couldn't get through it. I hated that movie so much, and it kind of reminded me a little bit. I thought it was going to be kind of visually stylish, like last yeah. year's uh, Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah, it was from beginning to end, transparently bang your head on 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 the floor. You know, a political triteness 
Well, it bombed. Yeah, and, and it deserved to. So here's one thing about me, and I've said this before. Generally speaking, when it comes to art, I don't care about the politics in the movie, nor do I want it. And I don't care about the person who made the movie or the people in the movie, because I think that's a kind of like, it shows how pathetic I am if I like care so much about people I don't know, right? All I care about is art. You and I, this is the first time we've ever done a podcast where we're talking about the inside baseball, because what we really like is the art. We like the movie. We don't care who made it. We don't care who's in it. We want the movie. We want the product. And we will, we will extract the value from that product and make it meaningful to our lives. And that's it, right? So generally speaking, like I love Eli Kazan movies. I got a good friend who said Eli Kazan is not one of the best directors, 10 best directors of all time because he ratted people out. Well, the two are unrelated. (laughs) Yes. They're unrelated. You know, his movies are fantastic. That being said, as someone who loves The Fighter, I think The Fighter is one of the best sports movies ever. Mm-hmm. I am conflicted and mostly rooting against, um, what's his name? David O. Russell. David O. Russell, because he abuses women on set. Long history of it. And you can read all about it. Wow. He has a long, long history. And you I can actually he see it. everybody. I thought he abused everybody. No, know- women specifically. Is he goes right? after And you can see videos of it online. Mm. Um, I know George Clooney went after him during three. That games. was because he went after a crew member. Yeah, but then, but then he went after Lily Tomlinson on that awful. Oh, stupid Lily Tomlin. Oh, I heard Huckabee's. I heard. I heard some audio of of that. He's gone after Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence. Made her, no, not Jennifer Lawrence. Amy, what's her name? Yeah, Amy. Amy uh, Adams. Amy Adams. Yeah, national fighter. treasure, right? She is a fantastic actress. Went after her. He goes after women, which is the sign of a coward. Wow. He's a coward, right? He's a bully who's also a coward because he only goes after the women. Can I be a coward for just a moment? Yeah. This man expresses his views and his views only. Uh, Mr. Russell, if you want to send your uh, lawyers, uh, sick him on on my coat. I don't think he could do anything. No, he's a he's a he's a coward because he doesn't treat ev- everyone equally like shit. I have heard that he he treats people like garbage on the set. Right? He did. I, I would have I thought feel, that he would reformed himself. I'd by feel now. better about it if it was everyone. But mm-hmm. it seems specifically to be the women, which is a sign of a coward. Yeah, the sign of a man. Like it, it was like he treated some guy. He treated some people badly, and George Clo- maybe some men badly, and George Clooney grabbed him by the throat. Yeah. and then he decided, okay, I'll only treat the women badly. So <laughs> I'm rooting against that guy, as talented as he is. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting against him. I hope it's well. He never picked on Mark Wahlberg, but you know, probably because Mark Wahl because he yeah. Mark Wahlberg's three of his movies, but then Mark Wahlberg probably probably lay him out in the yeah. second. So you know, I hated Amsterdam. Looks pretty good, but it's it, it, it is it is a toothache. I that that was kind of like a um, you know it was an Oscar hopeful. Yeah, there have been so many Oscar hopefuls. New York Times did a article about all the Oscar hopefuls that have crashed at the box office when they forego tried to forego the streaming. Mm-hmm. Got a list. Okay, Armageddon time. Oh my God, I I I. I have no desire to see it whatsoever. Can we just pause uh, for a second? Yeah. What did I... Oh, The Fablemans. I just watched The Fablemans, all right? I can't I'll, bring myself to watch it. Don't watch it. It's bad. There I are can't three, bring myself. There are three movies I'm going to list, and I'm going to tell you the one thing that bugs me about all of them. The Fablemans, Armageddon Time, and then the TV show, The Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Stop, ha- <laughs> stop hiring these goyim white women actresses <laughs> to do bad Jew impressions. <laughs> Guys, this is Jew face. I know you guys don't know what it is because in America, you know, 
the only the only other race in the only race in America are black and white apparently. But there is such a thing called Jew face. You take a white woman and you have her go. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's a bagel. It's a, the, the rabbi's coming over for Shabbat. That's that is nonsense. Is absolute nonsense, and that's what fucking Anne Hathaway does in Armageddon Time. It is what. Um, Michelle Williams, a wonderful actress, is going to win her way to an Oscar doing in The Fablemans. Really? She's horrible. It's offensive. They cast her as... Yeah, it's offensive. Can't you say... I mean, I've seen pictures of Mrs. Spielberg. I think a lot of people have. Well, they're all a lot better looking than their real-life counterparts. Yeah, and that's built in. But Michelle yeah. Williams, that much better looking? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, no, it's um enough of these, enough of these white women <laughs> doing terrible Jew accents. Well, as a matter of fact, the Fablemans... And I'm right. Jewish, everybody. I'm Jewish. <laughs> okay. I, I am not. I, I I'd like to get a uh, I'd like to get an honorary kind of. Uh, yeah, you got honorary. a lot of Jewish qualities. <laughs> <laughs> I want honorary. Um, the Fablemans made 15 million. I mean, yeah. I, I, I I'm not sure. I, it wasn't one of his most expensive movies, but it's crashing. Uh, After Sun, which sounds really like it could be, it could give um uh, the um what's that Irish movie. Yeah, a run for its money as far as quality concern, two point two million. Okay, I really want to see that movie. Uh, she said, "Another bang your head over the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ba- bang a hammer in your head until you, until you bleed out woke." Uh, I think that's on about <coughs> Weinstein, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven million. This stuff, whether they're good or whether they're not, bones and all, fourteen point one million about cannibals. Well, you know, they have, they need representation too. Um. D- there, is there a place for small, quiet movies to make money? I didn't look. There was. They sent the guy to jail. His name was Harvey Weinstein. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Miramax was the studio. That was the studio that made good movies. He made he made good movies, quiet movies, and they made money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then they sent him to jail. <laughs> well, I, I didn't uh, think about that. These These have... Uh, Miramax written all over them. These movies have Miramax, uh, you know. Some of them are, you know, kind of disgusting in their Oscar bait obviousness. Can we get but, a Harvey Weinstein in charge of these movies who at least isn't raping people? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, hopefully now. Hopefully now. But I don't think Kathleen Kennedy is, is a great option. I, I really think she she infused Star Wars with a certain um, a politics that kind of kind of dragged it down and, and harmed Let me tell all you the characters. Let me tell you something. It went. It wasn't the politics that dragged Star uh, Wars down. It was the plot. J.J. Abrams. Okay. It was the plot. I want to go over something that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and I thought of for a while. Since we're talking about the state of the uh, state of uh, film today, and that is there is a segregation between the best movies. And the most successful. And that didn't always used to be. Hasn't that been going on for a long, long time? Glad you brought that up, because I got the stats. Please. Do you know um, Dr. Zhivago? You know, so funny, Steve. Stop. Yeah. I was thinking Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which, that, which was a huge, huge yeah. hit. Dr. Zhivago, if you, um, you know, uh, adjusted for inflation, it's a top 10 movie. Great. It is in the top Still 10. Still a long time ago. Yeah. That says something, though. That says a lot. Look, between 1969 and 1977, the top box office uh, movie was nominated for Best Picture. And I know that doesn't always infer quality, Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, you're in the talking, right? 1969, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Didn't win. But 1970, Love Story, not the greatest movie of all time, but, you know, respectable. 71, The French Connection, won. Yeah. 72, The Godfather, won. 73, The Exorcist. Pause on The French Connection. Okay. Or The Exorcist, too. Both, both freak movies. These are movies that today would be bad movies that then were excellent movies. What I mean is not that if they came out today, what I'm saying is... It'd be received badly? No, no, no. What I mean is that the genre they are in, Uh these are excellent movies despite their genre. That's a good point. Now you put... Cop thriller and and horror movies. That's right. Which is going to lead me to my point, Steve. Movies are getting worse. They just are. They are getting worse. It is harder to find really good movies. See, I I think they're out there, but well... The last part of the, the clause of your sentence mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. They're out there, just harder to find them. Sad. Um, 74, The Towering Inferno. Okay, that is like a Marvel movie for back then. Okay, that's kind of an exception. 75, 76, 77. Jaws, Rocky, Star Wars. Pretty good track, react, uh, track also, record, right? movies today that would be bad movies if someone else made them. Yeah, you got a horror movie, uh, a kind of a what would a Capra esque mm-hmm. uh, drama. So my point, they used a, to be able to. Fiction. Only now will will like base it like one of the few movies that I guess was much better than its genre, so to speak, was Mad Max Fury Road. Right, mm-hmm. it was a real masterpiece. Yes, yes. But generally now, most we have good genres and bad genres. Does that make sense? Now it's like, all right, movies are horror. You mean horror. good genre movies or bad genre movies no. or good genres? No, good genres. What I mean okay. is like if it's horror, it's probably bad. If it's action, it's probably bad. If it's drama, it has a chance of being good. Hollywood has, has for the most part, deserted serious uh, horror movies. You know, how long has it been since? It's deserted serious movies. <laughs> yes. Well, let me let me go on. Things have gotten eight... so bad. Top Gun's nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> this is how bad things have gotten. Now the Academy Awards have not come out, but oh, in an incredibly nominated. shocking turn of events, the National Board of Review, which usually nominates you know kind of middle brow, maybe not the most artsy, but middle brow, mm-hmm. they gave they came out through their top ten list. They named Top Gun Maverick the best movie of the year, and I love that because it 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 made the Certain bodily orifices just tighten up at the New York Times. Yeah. You know, I love that. I loved Top Gun. I, I, I did too. I'm not under any delusion that it's it, it ranks in quality. It's better with, than the first. Oh, it's not in the same universe. Yeah. The first was the first was as bad as the worst Marvel movie in my opinion. I, yep. I didn't like it. Yeah. It was lighter than air. Yep. It was pure. Action, nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 went out of their way to avoid human behavior and yeah. interaction. The exact opposite is true with Maverick. There's a couple of times, well, you know, I'm like all the other guys. Yeah. I, I come come close to choking up a little. By the way, can I fix Maverick Top Gun for you real quick? Go ahead. Can I make a, can I make a major change? Fixes the movie. Go ahead. Um, you take out the scene that Ed Harris is in where he flies that stealth bomber really fast and breaks that sound record. You take it out of the movie. You make us unsure whether or not Maverick has still got it. You tell us, we don't know yet. We haven't seen this guy fly. We don't know if he's still got it. In fact, they're going to make him a teacher of these young kids. Uh-huh. Nobody knows if he's still got it. These young kids are hot shots, right? Does Maverick still got it? He takes him out for the drill, right? He takes him out, and then he shows you, bang, <laughs> he's still got it. They ruin that scene by showing you he's still got it earlier. It's totally useless. 
that scene where he takes them all down. You, you told me that once before, and I don't think I agreed with it. But thinking back now, it would have added a you know a far greater degree of uh, people dramatic. Would been, people would have been tension. clapping. People would yeah. have been clapping in the theaters if they weren't sure if he still had it until he started taking all those young hotshots down. And they, the they gave a little, uh, you know, a, a boost for the character mm-hmm. so early in the movie. Uh, you kind of squander that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think it's, it's. I think it, I do think it's a good point. Uh, let me finish my list though. Yeah. I'm obsessive compulsive. In the '80s, only four movies. Uh, got nominated for Best Picture that were, you know, the, the most successful movie that year. Not 81, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Great movie. Fantastic. 82, E.T., which probably should have beat Gandhi. Yep, absolutely. 87, Fatal Attraction. 88, Rain Man. Eh, Fatal Attraction is a good movie. Fatal Attraction is a good movie. It's a skillful movie. That movie's got some problems. Again, again, they... They they make Fatal Attraction again. It's a bad movie, and they already did. And it had Idris Elba and Beyonce. <laughs> that but, was a remake. That was just a remake. I'm just saying. My point is, <laughs> I don't it used to be it. movies that if they they used to be able to make movies that if you mm-hmm. describe the plot, you'd be like, well, that sounds terrible. Good. There used mm-hmm. to be so many good movies in bad genres. This is my point. <laughs> like, eh, no, that I I I think it's I think you're onto something. Next decade, next next two decades, 90s, only two. Only two mm-hmm. top grocers get nominated. 1990, Ghost, and, and 97, Titanic. What happened to Braveheart? Oh, that was nowhere near. That was 95. I think Apollo 13 made more money oh, wow. than that. Okay. Yeah, I think. I'm not sure that that was the top grocer. I'm surprised they rewarded Braveheart so much then. I like Braveheart, by the way. I'm not a huge fan of that. Movie. I'm just surprised they rewarded it to the degree they did if it wasn't such a top grocer. I think it made money. I, I'm, I'm completely ignorant about Why it. I think, Babe the, it. I think Babe made more movie, more money. Why was Braveheart so rewarded at the Oscars? Well, back then they had this. They were huge suckers for uh, you know period dramas. Okay. For thirty years, you know, from, from the '60s all, all the way up to mm-hmm. they, you know, Out of Africa, Amadeus, mm-hmm. they, you know, Man for All Seasons. They don't. They just, they just loved that kind of. High gloss, high tone kind of historical yeah. epic. Gotcha. Um, two thousand in the two thousands, there was Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Avatar. Avatar. No, glad are you forgetting Return. Was the only Gladiator? Two? Gladiator has not the number one movie in two thousand. Another Tom Cruise movie was Mission Impossible Two. But we got to at least say Gladiators of the ilk, right? It's Maybe. close to the top. Blockbuster and one Best Picture. True. Yeah. True. True. But um, Return of the King mm-hmm. won. Yeah. Avatar lost. Yeah. Uh, Avatar was the last movie to be the top grosser to be nominated for Best Picture. And it's not going to... This year... Top Gun will be, get nominated. Yeah, it'll be the first time in, you know, good Lord, you know, 13, 13 years. So, Steve, I think... They're should... not making good, really shake them up blockbusters. They're no. all middle of the road, what you said, mm-hmm. corporate products. That's right. And they're... It's going to show years from now, 20, 30 years from now, you're not going to remember a lot of these Marvel movies. We've got to get back to figuring out. I mean, I know there's people paid tons of money trying to figure out how to get people back in the movies. Um, But at the same time, I'm starting to get the sense that the only people interested in that are the major directors. The guys like Cameron, the guys like Villeneuve, the guys like Spielberg, that the only people interested, and obviously Nolan, 
Mm-hmm. The only people really interested in keeping the movie theaters alive seem to be the directors. And it seems that the executives have basically wiped their hands of the movie theaters and have decided that, you know, streaming is the thing now. But what they're learning is that streaming is not profitable. Not if you spend a ton of money on the movies. So they're I mean, losing $2 billion in one quarter is enormous. I don't think yeah. people understand. Like, it's such an... I'm sure every other streaming site saw that and said to themselves, we got to rethink the type of projects we're making. Well, the year before, didn't Netflix blow a ton of money mm-hmm. on production? Yeah. And did not see their subscriber base increase that? Yeah. That very disappointing uh Steve, you know numbers. what video streaming service I use the most? Hmm. Amazon Prime. I don't know why. I just rent movies I like. You know, Amazon Prime's got a lot of old movies. That's what I'm talking about. I just rent like movies. Really I I rent like movies for two ninety nine, three ninety nine, mm-hmm. like just like it was a video store. Just rent it. Yeah. Movie I want to see from nineteen eighty five, whatever. I'm not interested really in what is coming out now. Um, They've got a bank of free old movies. Oh sure, All, almost a rival, not quite to rival Turner Classic Movies, but there's a lot, and maybe some of them are in the public donate, domain. I am, but they're surprising. You can find a lot of good. I am a hundred percent more likely to like a movie that never came out in a streaming service. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's just the way it is. I think it's because, you know, if it goes to streaming, yeah. whether... Remember the Red Notice? No. I don't know if you've heard of Red Notice. I think it, the movie's called Red Notice. It's with Ryan Reynolds and Gail Gadot and The Rock, okay? Gigantic uh, yeah. stars, right? Yeah. And huge budget. It had an ordinariness to it, which mm-hmm. is speaking to exactly what you were saying. Yeah. There's an ordinary... like. Like they're not even trying really hard because they know it's going to go. It's not going to be in the theaters. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there, there, there's a there's a casualness to it that they're not taking seriously. That that's that's the read I had, and I think you're definitely onto something. They they'll put what they have a lot of faith in in the theaters, but they're not managing it correctly, I and not think. for long either. I mean, Disney Plus. You is, think it might go back the to more to a more conventional releasing? They have to. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus is already advertising Avatar two to the streaming service. It's barely been out. Mm-hmm. All right, Steve. Let's do some final thoughts before we head out of here. Um, at the end of the day, Steve, we already say where we think we're at. Where do we think we're going? What's your guess? It's just a guess, guys. Mm-hmm. I think since since the pandemic, people have started coming back to the theaters. You have you know uh, Maverick. Um, Black Panther, they, they, these movies are bringing people back in. Yeah. Okay? Which is a good thing. What is alarming is nobody's going to see the interesting stuff, and the theaters aren't renting them. I, I don't know which one comes first. That is a depressing prospect. Also, I'm seeing less art house movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, art, art, art house theaters where you can see this stuff off the beaten path. Because even though it's not a big movie, the Banshees is a movie I think would be worth seeing in in the theater. It's beautiful. But aside from all its attributes, it's beautiful. I think that, and I'm talking out of my butt, okay? I'm going to go ahead and guess that movies make most of their money in the major cities. L.A., New York, Chicago, huh. Atlanta, right? That it's the major cities that the income revenue comes in for the ticket sales. Interesting. Right? All you mean know, since the beginning, or forever. like just forever. more recently? Forever, okay. we'll say forever, but especially more recently. That is the major cities that you get all the the revenue for the movie from, and that small town America probably is not the backbone of the ticket revenue business. Um, I hope they are. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. I am a liberal. 
I think liberals are killing movies. And not because the content of the movie, that's another discussion. I think their reluctance to go to the theaters is going to kill the business. I think they are the ones not going to the theaters because they're still... Why do you suppose Because I think COVID... um, I think COVID, you know, fear is still there. You think it's more prevalent among um, um, liberals? A hundred percent. It always was. It always was. And I think that they're... And I think a lot of them are also saying, you know... Ever since the pandemic, I won't go to movies anymore. I just don't. Who who cares? Who needs to? I mm. think that they've got to. You know, we need the liberal audiences. The, the we need the city audiences at, at at least. The city audiences have to start going to movies again. Listen, before we get to the final thoughts, I do want to ask you a question about one movie. Yeah, go ahead. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, didn't work for me. It just didn't work. I just I didn't feel personally connected to the characters. I thought the daughter did a poor job acting. I thought. That um, the husband who was in Temple of Doom and Goonies, I thought he was wonderful when he got away from the character he mainly played. Mm-hmm. I thought the character he mainly played, I, I couldn't figure out if he was just a bad actor. And then the second he became the rich version of himself in another universe, I said, oh, he can act. <laughs> He's just having a hard time with this dopey husband character. Um that movie might win a lot of awards. I think that's the other contender, and it'll do it for the same liberal reasons because who's ever seen a Chinese character owning a laundromat in a movie and you know, blah, 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 blah. It was creative. I never really cared. I found it really frustrating. The person I went to, to see it with, I went to see it with my brother, he liked it even less than I did. There is, yeah, a cleverness with time travel. Please, get off time travel, get off the multiverse, I'm sick of it. But what annoyed me was the politics behind the movie. Uh, once again, a character is asking, uh, she, she, she's gay, and she's demanding a certain um, uh, you know, acceptance that is apparently impossible for her grandfather mm-hmm. and difficult for her mother, and... She becomes she she becomes this monster, and they're saying if you don't accept every every bit of your, of your child's lifestyle, universal end. <laughs> okay, yeah. no, it's not. <clears throat> Obviously, what, what they're saying is you're gonna you're gonna destroy the the uh, the relationship with your kid, and that and that that's definitely valid. But it's it's almost like it's political and and familial blackmail. You know, it's also to take it another way, it's um. It's insulting to homosexuals to think that they have to have their parents' approval. Otherwise, they will turn into bad people. Not just approval. I mean, not just approval. Acceptance. I mean, yeah, absolute acceptance without right. the slightest qualm. Maybe she, oh, boy, I, you know, I always imagined you with the daughter. She, she sets an impossibly high standard for, for I mean, her mom to live by for her grandfather. We all want a certain amount of acceptance from our parents. And what I'm saying is that to to label an entire community of people and say, man, if they don't get the acceptance, the full-on acceptance from their parents, who knows what they can become? They turn, yeah, they turn. Yeah, they're, they're, they'll end the world. That's, <laughs> that's insulting to them. Yeah. I'm sure there's a huge percentage of homosexuals whose parents were not accepting that are leading honorable, moral lives and not damaged and afflicted and out to cause pain to others. You know, it's just like... It it, it it infantilizes them. You know it what I mean? It infantilizes them with, with, with the threat of militancy. Rather than say, you know, 
hope that the parents, you know, eventually come along. It's all out war. We should never presume to speak for anyone. We shouldn't presume to speak for Jewish people. We shouldn't presume to speak for homosexuals. We shouldn't presume to speak for any group of people. You just write a character and you speak for the character. But unfortunately, that character was spe- was used to speak for a group of people. Yeah, and you sense? have to discover, you know, you have to figure out whether that's... I mean, this what is the, what they're saying is... This is, is the problem with fair. a lot of the, the liberally oriented movies where the whole idea right now with movies is... We've never seen this type of person before, or mm-hmm. this. It's all about representation, right? We've mm-hmm. never seen this person on screen before, or that person on screen before, or this person. But the problem what you do there is you don't have a character. You have a group of people represented by a character, and that's no good. I, yeah, I recently um, uh, heard some criticism of the TV show Wendy that there, there were um, three, a couple of black characters, and they were all considered villains. Never even you heard know? of it. Oh, Wendy from the, the the Adams family. Oh, oh, huge, uh, huge, Wednesday, huge. Wednesday. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Yeah, beg your pardon. And that is the most insane uh, uh, critique because, in the first place, the actress who plays uh, you know her her rival and I guess is considered a, a villain. She's really good, and it's a yeah. fun role. And some of the most interesting roles are that of villains. When you start doing this, you know, identity politics thing, and you, you don't want every black actor to have to be you know, forced into the angelic, perfect black representation. There's this also this show called Loot, I think it was, mm-hmm. with, um, oh, darn it, a former Saturday Night Live uh, member. Uh, she's playing a, ri- a rich, wealthy woman. She's half black, half white, but I think she's mm. playing white, and her assistant... Definitely not Maya Rudolph. It is Maya Rudolph. Oh, interesting. That's Maya Rudolph. I'm sorry, thank you for reminding me. <clears throat> Maya Rudolph is playing a very rich, very entitled person, mm-hmm. and her assistant is a black actress, and she does nothing but she's a sourpuss who scolds her all the time. Yeah, that's not that's not what an actress wants to do, right? Can I say something? I came up go a little, little deeper than I intended to. I thought of something a couple weeks ago, and it stuck with me when it comes to making movies about identity politics, where one where this whole idea of representation in movies. We've never seen this type of person and this type of person. Here's the deal. Every single human being is different, and every single human being is the, exactly the same. And there are no subgroups. There are no subgroups. Mm-hmm. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. Jews aren't all alike. Blacks aren't all alike. Italians aren't all alike. Every single human being shares the same anatomy, the same brain which makes us all exactly the same. And then we all react to our own limited self-awareness differently to each other. So the point is, you cannot represent subgroups of people because to say that subgroups of people are all the same is horseshit and it's racist. It is the definition of racism. So the idea that this Chinese laundromat owner represents all Chinese laundromat owners is insulting because how can one person represent other people in a subgroup? It is not fair. Maybe she loves ballet and another Chinese laundromat owner loves race cars, right? And NASCAR. They are different people. They have different identities. And if you want to say, well, you know, there are similarities. Well, there are similarities between all human beings, all of us. We are all exactly the same. We live what is approximately the exact same amount of time, even if you die at one year old or you die at 75 years old, in the grand scheme of things, it's a blink of the eye. 
We share the same brain chemistry. I mean, it's just their subgroups are nonsense. The idea that people are different based on subgroups are nonsense. We are all exactly the same. And at the same time, because we have different self-perceptions, like I, I am the main character in my own movie, Steve. And when the lights turn off in my movie, you're all gone, <laughs> right? So the point is, that's, the, that's it. Mm-hmm. We're all the same. And yet at the same time, we all have, we all live individual experiences that are different from everybody else's. A great movie will, will show, you know, um, basically doesn't focus on one particular group's virtues. It focuses on their flaws. No, yeah, know? a great movie should have you identify with someone totally different from you. The idea Absolutely. is to, is to connect to the thing that makes us all the same, and not to make the viewer like somebody at the aquarium or the zoo saying, wow, what a fascinating culture of people. It's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. That's racism, (laughs) right? The idea you watch Dances with Wolves, you shouldn't say, wow, Indians are crazy and weird. You should say, I see the same things in them that I see in me. Love for children, my wife, right? Like, that's the idea. Even if you take... While at the same time acknowledging... Right. A a special uniqueness. There's a uniqueness, but the point is... The idea is the uniqueness should stand as a barrier at first, Mm -hmm. and then you get past it, and you see the sameness. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea. Not that the uniqueness itself is the thing that you're in the thing for. Yeah. The whole point is we're all we're all humans. Yeah. They're they're creating they're they're creating characters that are unrelatable. I can't relate to somebody like in in that movie Everywhere All at Once who wants to destroy everything in the universe. Because her grandfather isn't as accepting. It, you know, if he doesn't accept it, he, he has flaws, okay? He should be loving to her, even though she's, yeah. she's a lesbian. But I would like to see her. There, there's no suggestion that, um, you know, maybe there is a flaw in you that you can't be a little more generous. It doesn't ring you know? true. It yeah. doesn't ring true. Just like as a Jewish person, I don't like being tagged as somebody like who has some vested interest in Israel, which I don't. Right? Nobody in any minority group, everyone everyone thinks like, oh, I'm in this minority group and that minority group. But then the second you start telling them, oh, well, then you think this and you think that, you're going to get pushback and rightfully so. Or, or presume that, you, that you're going to feel that way. What, what right. did Joe Biden say uh, to Charlemagne the God? I'm, what did he say? He said, um, if you have any questions as to, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, if you have any uh, doubt as to whether you should vote for me, you ain't black. That's Biden said that rich. to Charlemagne the God. By the way, it really warms my heart to hear you say Charlemagne the God. Oh. Never in my life did I a think you would know who he is and b say his name. And see, I surprise you. I surprise you. There's a there's a degree. We're all the same. I'm but gonna, there's a little I'm bit of take uniqueness. that recording and make it my ringtone on a loop. Just you saying Charlemagne the God. Charlemagne the God. It's wonderful. All right. Well, on to the, on I, to I'm, the I'm glad um, that for our first episode back, we've gone massively over time again, which means <laughs> which means we haven't lost a beat. Guys, two weeks from now, we're going to release an episode just on movies. Steve, just say what you want to say. Steve oh. is like motioning to me from silent motion. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts. <laughs> you can come. No, I don't have any final thoughts. Okay. I think I think we've said it all. Guys, okay. thanks for listening. I promise we're going to get back on a more consistent uh, schedule. Bear with us. Two weeks from now. We're going to have a regular Hidden Gem, Hidden Gems movie podcast with two Hidden Gems movies. Take it easy, guys. Uh-huh.